if you're a long-time listener of the Growth Connie podcast, or even a relatively new one, you'll know that our most popular topic is account-based marketing. Nowadays, there's so much research and literature around account-based marketing, but have you been able to find anything specific for the Asia-Pacific region? We've commissioned a research piece with Shift Research to discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC. Do you want to secure this exclusive expert insight? The finished report will give all B2B marketers across APAC a better understanding of how top firms are leveraging account-based marketing and the results they're getting within the region. As a thank you for participating, we'll send you an early access version of the report and invite you to an expert Q&A webinar. To get started, head to xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey. That's xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey. And secure your early access to these valuable insights today. Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fails, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. That's right. You can rate on Spotify now and share the pod with a friend. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack to connect with our members. That's enough from me. Let's dive right into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Anthony Liu, head of marketing and partnerships at Legal Vision about generating high quality content at scale. Everybody has heard of Legal Vision and it's really hard not to come across their content. So I'm super excited about this topic. Anthony, thanks for joining us. No worries. Keen to spill some of the beans for you today on, on how we do it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. I'm super excited. So paint us a picture. Paint us a high-level picture of content marketing and legal vision, and then we'll go into the details from there. Sure. So content marketing is something that we've been doing as a law firm since we started back in 2012, and we're now the most visited law firm website in the Asia-Pacific attracting around um, like 350,000 visitors every month. So it's a huge driver of of traffic to our website. Um, But more importantly, it's a major source of leads for the business, um, getting around like 100 or so leads a day. And then it's also a a major driver of of brand awareness as well. So we have a lot of um, business owners, startup founders, entrepreneurs who find us the first time through our content. Um, And we know that like, around 80% of business owners turn to Google when they've got a question and that's where we want to play. That's where, you know, appearing in, in organic search with, you know, answers to people's questions. Um, content marketing has allowed us to, you know, is, is a huge competitive advantage for the firm. So, yeah, I, I've been at the, the firm for seven years. I would have thought by this point, you know, other firms would have caught on to how content marketing is, you know, important, but uh, still no firm has, has come close to what we've achieved. So, yeah, that, that's, I guess, a high-level picture of what we've achieved today. That uh, First of all, those are some crazy numbers. 100 leads a day, 350,000 visitors. That is, that those numbers are nuts, especially for, you know, companies in, in Asia Pacific, which traffic might not be as, as crazy as, um, as, you know, in North America or EMEA or wherever it is. So, Kudos to you on that. Tell us a little bit about some of the content pieces or content 
uh, I don't want to say content pillars because that that refers to something different. But some of the some of the content strategies that you heavily rely on at uh, at Legal Vision. So I'd say the majority of our, the content that we produce would be the articles on our website. So sort of you know eight hundred to a thousand word pieces written in very plain English that uh, we write for our intended audience for uh, business owners. A lot of other law firms write content, but they produce content for other lawyers, like it's full of legalese or, you know, it's slabs of legislation that no one really understands. So we've built up a, a database now of over 6,000 articles. Those are sort of the blog pieces. In addition to articles, we know that not everyone has time to, to read articles. We also have like a lot of videos, whether they're they're explainer videos that are sort of two to three minute explainer animations or also webinars as well, sort of like deeper dive, 40-minute webinars that are interactive with our lawyers. And then, yeah, so I'll say those are the the two main sort of types of content that we produce, but we also have an extensive library of of guides and e-books, like really high-quality PDFs that we also um, distribute in person, uh, physical copies as well. Again, if you've ever downloaded any of our guides, you know that they're written in pretty you know, practical and commercial terms to help business owners navigate whatever aspect of uh, their business they're trying to you know, grow and how the, how the law inter- interacts with it. It's, again, written for the end user rather than just you know, marketing for the sake of marketing with, with buzzwords and a big pitch at the end. How do you make sure that that actually happens? How do you make sure that it is written for the customer? What's your process around that? Because it's it's easier said than done, right? How do you how do you make sure that when you write a piece, whether it's an article, it's an ebook, it's a video, whatever it is, it's uh, it's really speaking to the customer? Yeah, so we have a, a pretty extensive content production process in terms of where the ideas come from, and then I also touch on sort of the feedback that we get from our users and our clients as well in terms of how we produce content, the sources of the ideas. Are varied, so it's a combination of feedback from our lawyers or our growth team, what they're hearing on the phone that a lot of clients are asking for, like certain questions that might be like time sensitive or questions around themes and topics that are emerging. For example, like this month we're producing more crypto content because a lot of inquiries are coming through the door about how the law interacts with you know crypto in that space. We also do a lot of like SEO research around again trends and keywords of, of words. Oh, sorry, of topics that get a lot of volume there. Yeah, there's a lot of effort that goes into the research phase of it to make sure that we're we're producing content that is relevant and useful to our clients. And then at the very other side of it, at the at the feedback stage, um, we have a number of different mechanisms that provide feedback to our content team on what content's performing well. So you've got. Um, both sort of qualitative and quantitative tools. On the qualitative tools, like as simple as a, a, a form at the bottom of every single article page, like was this article helpful, thumbs up, thumbs down. That data is uh, obviously the quantitative data on what articles are getting a lot of thumbs up, thumbs down. We, we assess um, in terms of the articles that get a lot of thumbs down. There's also an option to leave comments. We regularly review that on why people find our, like a particular article not helpful. It might have not have answered their question or it might also give us ideas on new articles to produce as well. So yeah, that's like qualitative feedback that we get directly from users on our website every day. And then we've got, you know, quantitative tools that we have in the back end, everything from, you know, Google Analytics just to look at what articles are performing well and then a number of sort of different SEO tools that we use to assess 
whether certain articles could be folded in or um, merged with other articles to ensure that we've always got the best version of every article on our website rather than just, you know, high volume content that, you know, people aren't really searching for, but it's just out there in the ether. Got it. I want to get your opinion on, because SEO is big business, right? Like it's, it's very important. It's more important for some businesses than others, but overall it's pretty important. And obviously there are a lot of agencies out there who do a lot of SEO work. It's, I mean, you know, you do a Google search and you could just be going until <laughs> tomorrow and, uh, and still far, find agencies talking about SEO and some really massive players. And there's some smaller consultants what has been your experience working with external agencies? How does the team look like? You know, do you have kind of external support from agencies? Is it all in-house? Love to hear your experience on that front. Sure. So more, all content production is done internally. So we we have a like content is embedded in our DNA in the sense that, you know, from graduate up to CEO, you're, you're required to contribute content to our website every month. So because it's part of our DNA and we have like big quality control in that aspect, we prefer to yeah keep it internal rather than external. And the reason for that is we've looked at external agencies to help produce content or even edit content. And the cost hasn't, uh, we've you know, measured the, the return on investment looking externally and it hasn't really worked out in terms of the, the cost benefit analysis. So we have a lot of data that shows you know, how many articles leads come through every month. And we divide that by the salaries of the the people who took an article day. And then we can work out the cost of a lead based on, you know, the article leads. So we can compare that to agencies. So we don't really use agencies for the production side. Um, we do work with a number of agencies now um, on more the, you know, the backlinking side or the audit side of the website. So more sort of technical aspects of SEO um, allowing them to work with our developers on yeah, ensuring that the, the website's as optimized as possible for um, different search engines to crawl. We find that, yeah, their technical expertise has been really helpful and then as well as, yeah, the, the backlinking assistance to provide to ensure that, yeah, we have a healthy number of different backlinks that help us um, ensure that we're, especially if we're expanding into a new market, allows us to, yeah, build up authority in a way that would be much faster than if we did it ourselves internally. Interesting. I want to change gears and I want to talk about mistakes and, and you know, things that blew up um, the way that they shouldn't have blown up. What comes to mind? I, I want to hear some of the war stories that you have of stuff that you've tried in the content space. Maybe you had, you were quite excited about it and just didn't work the way it was supposed to. Yeah, I probably have like two stories. The first one would be relating to the content side in the early days where you're just trying to to get, you know, website visitors is sort of like a vanity metric was so important, you know, let's climb, keep our traffic climbing as much as possible. We were producing content, which was just attracting a lot of bad quality leads, wasting the, the time of our internal sales team, responding to queries for like, you know, where is my tax file number, for example. So a search term that gets a lot of, you know, a lot of volume, but really doesn't generate, you know, business for the firm, doesn't really add value to sort of the articles that we have on our website. But we knew that it was a search term that, you know, there's no clear article out there answering it so we could write it. Now at this stage, we don't produce any content that um, doesn't add value to our clients or, or, or to the business overall. Moving away from just high volume keywords for the sake of it, like every month we, we can see particular keywords that were like, if we wrote an article on this, like it would get thousands of hits very quickly. 
but not falling into that trap of that short-term gain because, yeah, in, in the long term, it doesn't benefit the business at all. And then, yeah, the second mistake was probably more a broader sort of marketing level. We, as we've moved as a law firm towards a, a membership model, which is pretty unique in the legal services industry, we've had to invest a lot more in top of line, above the funnel sort of campaigns and to you know, spread the word out there. We recently tried a, a radio campaign, you know, dropped five to six figures on a campaign that ran for a couple of months. We promised that it was going to, you know, get us in front of, you know, the business owners that we wanted to. But at the end, it was pretty much a, a massive flop. You know, there's no clear visibility on where the money was going. You know, ads were playing, but the sort of the the feedback they were getting from people who were calling in, the, the messaging wasn't where it should be and the targeting wasn't ideal so yeah radio is is definitely something we tried but glad that we turned that page because uh yeah it just wasn't for us so now we're um yeah we're in the the podcast game completely different but uh in terms of the 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 data and the visibility you get as a marketer but it's been a a, yeah a big game changer for us to to perform sorry to to act and play in that space i want to come back and touch on the podcast thing but before we do that Tell me a little bit about, you said that at the beginning, it was all about the numbers and the vanity metrics and and getting those numbers high, right? And you were having challenge with the quality of the leads and and the prospects that were coming through. One of the things that you mentioned you did to kind of improve that was be very specific with your keywords. Was there anything else that you did to kind of improve the, the quality of those leads? Yeah. The so yeah, every article that's published on our website goes through a pretty rigorous like review process, like legally reviewed um, from our team, as well as goes through yeah a number of loopholes in the content review process to ensure that it's optimized for our website and to ensure that you know it gets in front of the right people at the right time. So yeah, there's a lot of processes in place to maintain that side of quality control. From a people perspective, the induction stage when you join Legal Vision, for example, as a as a lawyer, you'll be heavily involved from day one in terms of understanding the content strategy, but then also your role in that content strategy, whether it's reviewing or writing content for our website as well. The content, as I sort of mentioned earlier, is a big part of the firm's DNA. So at the interview stage, you'll hear about our content when you join the company. There's um, an induction and then every month you'll have some sort of touch point with your content editor, which is someone who's assigned to you to help you produce and review your content as well. So there's many different touch points you get when you're joining the firm. And then, yeah, on an ongoing basis, I've got a a content team, a team of six that are responsible for the quality control aspect of it, as well as the production and, and distribution of the content as well. Yeah. And anyone in the SEO game sort of knows that Google now values the the whole EAT score, the EAT, which stands for yeah expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. So it's really important for us as a law firm to ensure that the quality of the content we're producing is um, always you know top of the game. That it's not just you know you're getting law students to write on you know trademark articles for the sake of it just to get the volume out there. Um, we put a very you know rigorous process in place to ensure that everything is is correct and relevant because at the end of the day, like. These are the lives of, you know, business owners who are coming across your website, their whole livelihoods in their business. If you're giving them advice that could potentially, you know, affect how their business operates and if in a negative way, then yeah, as a firm, you have some sort of responsibility there to ensure that the content's legally correct and, and, and yeah, practical and easy to understand as well. Got it. Got it. Let's move to podcasts. Okay. You talked about 
podcast ads and you kind of we kind of left that i want to go back to that what's happening in that space what are you doing there Sure. So podcasting is relatively still quite new in the sense that advertisers now have more control than ever in terms of who they want to get in front of and then what data you have access to as well. So we can see we advertise on hundreds of different podcasts every month, we're targeting sort of business owners and entrepreneurs, and we have a number of different tools that we use to sort of keep an eye on you know, which podcasts people are listening to and which ones out of those podcasts are actually going to the website afterwards on their on their phone or on their on, on their computer. So the data is, is really valuable for us that we, you know, previously would definitely not have seen in the radio space. And this feeds into our larger sort of MarTech stack around, you know, automation and and how we can deliver you know, the best client experience as possible based on, you know, where we know our clients are coming from, what industries they're coming from as well. So, yeah, podcasting is is being now, you know, becoming a more important channel for Legal Vision, um, allowing us to push out more brand awareness around not only Legal Vision, but our, our membership product that I don't think maybe five, 10 years ago, we, we would have been able to do so. Interesting. Interesting. That is definitely one of the up, up and coming channels, especially for the region. I think it's it, yeah. it's fairly established in some of the other geographies, but in this region is is definitely up and coming. So uh, that is uh, that sounds really cool. Now I have a couple of rapid fire questions that I want to ask you, but before we kind of get to that, is there anything that you think is important that maybe I didn't touch on, or you think we should cover with regards to content and what we've been talking about? I guess if I'm speaking to a if you're working in a B two B or professional services firm looking to, to get into content marketing. I, I get often asked a lot of questions from like CMOs or heads of marketing in, in traditional firms that want to get content produced. You just have to understand that it, it's, it's still a medium to long-term game with content production and, and seeing the return on that. Um, if you're producing a couple of blog articles and then not seeing leads come in, you know, you're not going to see leads for potentially up to a year. So that's that's what sort of my advice would be for those who are in B2B or professional services getting into content marketing. It's it's a long-term game, so you need to have a, a plan and then stick to it and then sort of try to convince management that you've got this under control. That's, yeah, still to this day, I get asked that question a lot. And that's, uh, yeah, that's my advice is just to, to hang on and, and ensure that you're producing high, con- high quality content at scale. If you're doing it right, then it, it, it will pay off. Yeah, but set the expectation with the management that it, this is not this is not a magic wand. It's marketing and it's going to take time. That's a great advice. Okay, let's do some rapid fire questions. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what is one resource? It could be a blog, it could be a podcast, a book, whatever it is, a talk that has fundamentally changed the way it has a it has a really big impact on you. Big impact on me. So I would say there's a book from a um, an astronaut, uh, Canadian astronaut called Chris Hadfield. He's written a book on I think it's called an astronaut's life, an astronaut's guide to life on Earth. And I think that's had a, a good impact on me in, in the sense of it's teaching a number of lessons that, you know, you, you're grown up to, you know, people tell you don't sweat the small stuff or, you know, don't care, don't worry about what other people think about you. But in, in this book, Chris sort of flips it and says it's uh, the opposite, like counterintuitive to what, you know, people tell you. So 
yeah, and how often do you get life advice from an astronaut? So it's a it's a good book if you're interested in not only space but also how whether like how productive you are or how you work as a person. It's uh, it's good advice. That sounds that sounds really good. I'm gonna definitely check that out. Question number two: If you could give only one advice to B two B marketers, what would that advice be? Uh, and it can be around content creation as well. But what would that advice be? Yeah, I guess it sort of stems off what I was saying earlier, but work for a company that, that understands marketing. And it sounds a bit simple, but like if your manager, if you're working in a marketing team and your manager doesn't understand content marketing, then you're probably set up to fail. If your management team don't under, don't value marketing, then you're probably not going to make an impact. There's still a lot of companies out there that don't, like, don't really value the impact of marketing or, or like you know newer even newer process such as content marketing so if you are really passionate about like making an impact make sure your manager understands what you're trying to do and then make sure that your management team definitely value the impact of marketing on the on the firm as a whole because otherwise join a business that does value it because it'll make your life a lot easier i love it quit your job that's uh that's 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 the, <laughs> that's the theme of 2022 yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, that that's happening whether people understand marketing or not, but uh, <laughs> definitely quit if they're not understanding marketing. Okay, question number three. Who are some of the influencers that you follow in the marketing space? Are you familiar with Refine Labs or Chris Walker from Refine Labs? Yeah, 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 so they yeah, do yeah a, absolutely. A fantastic podcast, I think, out of the US called The State of the Demand Gen. Yeah, on very high rotation for me as a B2B marketer. Very practical great tactics and they yeah we've implemented a number of the suggestions and yeah they've, they've definitely moved the, the needle for legal vision i love it question number four and the last one is what excites you about b2b like generally or what uh something specific about for the b2b landscape right marketing uh, in the b2b it's a little bit different than some of the other areas you know i'm, I'm super curious of like what excites you about b2b uh right now right now there's probably a number of different things that excite me. The, we use marketing automation and then sort of where it is today as a piece of technology to get in front of the right people at the right time. Like we, we publish so much content and using MarTech to deliver highly personalized content to people has been incredible that otherwise we would not have been able to do so. And then the other thing is maybe not B2B specifically, but maybe marketing more broadly is, is is podcast attribution. I think it's a pretty exciting time to be alive as an advertiser in the audio medium. And, and yeah, a lot of major players are, are very aware of that more people are, are turning to, to podcasts as a as a way to learn or to, to be entertained as well. So as a marketer, that's that's really exciting. Anthony, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. This was an amazing conversation. I took a lot of notes and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to take a lot out of it. So thank you so much for your time and uh, for, uh, for being a guest. No worries. Thanks for having me. This episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing and music also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Yes, you can rate on Spotify now, so please do. And share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. If you'd like to connect with the members of Growth Colony, join our free Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. 
Thanks again for all the support and we'll see you again in the next one. If you're a long-time listener of the Growth Conny podcast, or even a relatively new one, you'll know that our most popular topic is account-based marketing. Nowadays, there's so much research and literature around account-based marketing, but have you been able to find anything specific for the Asia-Pacific region? We've commissioned a research piece with Shift Research to discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC. Do you want to secure this exclusive expert insight? The finished report will give all B2B marketers across APAC a better understanding of how top firms are leveraging account-based marketing and the results they're getting within the region. As a thank you for participating, we'll send you an early access version of the report and invite you to an expert Q&A webinar. To get started, head to xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey. That's xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey. And secure your early access to these valuable insights today.